we're faced in a country with a growing aging population that's going to have um, continuous chronic condition problems that we need to be able to reach and engage them um, you know, in new ways. And we're faced with provider shortages across the country. So it's not a simple way of saying, are we, a, you know, we just need more physicians. Everyone needs more physicians. So how do you take the physician specialty and expertise that you have and scale that in a more efficient way that's never been done before? This is Of Note, a podcast on innovation. I'm Laura Quarter, Managing Director of South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. And I'm Joseph Nuther, co-founder of Design Sensory and Pop Fizz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on business and creativity, entrepreneurship and leadership, failure and growth, and so much more. Healthcare is an area of innovation that some might not feel is relevant to them, but I'd argue that it's applicable to everybody. How each of us, how our neighbors and friends, how our loved ones are cared for when they need it most is vital. And that's exactly what our guest today is working to enhance and expand. Sean Valenta with MUSC Telehealth at the Medical University of South Carolina is working to improve the impact of telehealth across the state. Sean is looking to extend the use cases of telehealth, taking it from the virtual health services and communications that we all think of when we hear the term, to a fully integrated function of the process and how a patient receives care. Already, MUSC Telehealth touches nearly 40 hospitals, over 100 schools, and works within prisons, homes, and a number of primary care practices. But Sean believes they, and telehealth as a whole, can do more than just replicating care over distance, especially during a time when less in-person doctor visits might actually be a good thing. I'm Sean Valenta. I'm the administrator of telehealth here at the Medical University of South Carolina. MUSC Center for Telehealth, it was founded in 2013. Now MUSC has been doing telehealth for well over a decade now, actually starting back in 2005, uh, where you know physician leaders uh, a lot of grassroots initiatives looking to address healthcare disparities got started with grants. But in 2013, that's actually when the state started to invest money. Um, MUSC is a state entity, uh, but we're also, you know, had a lot of expertise uh, in telehealth at that time. So at that time, there was about a dozen telehealth services at different levels of maturity occurring. But when the state invested money, they wanted to do a couple of things. They wanted MUSC to create telehealth services that you know, um, address the needs of different communities across our state. And they also wanted us to create a statewide collaborative where other organizations can all work together. So the result of that was uh, one, the founding of the MUSC Center for Telehealth, which has now grown into the creation of, you know, 80, 90 plus telehealth services being de- um, developed and many more in the making. Um, and also the South Carolina Telehealth Alliance, which is a statewide collaborative that I always tell people it's not its own entity, but it's a uh, statewide collaborative tied together by annual strategic planning and contractual relationships. So we work with a lot of the different health systems, um, stakeholders um, working together to transform the way care is deliver- delivered in our state um, in an intentional way. So we're all making sure we're rowing in the same direction. 
And if you're wondering why the state and MUSC invested so heavily in telehealth, Sean points to what he calls a healthcare disparity. In South Carolina, you know, it's a small state. Uh, it's a very rural state. Um, so when you, especially when you look at places um, along the I-95 corridor, there's been healthcare disparities for a, a long, long time in you know rural, um, often you know minority populations, vulnerable populations that don't have access to care um, to some of the services that you would find in maybe an urban setting. And telehealth is you know one tool, uh, one potential solution that actually has achieved um, bringing more care, more access to care, and improving. Uh, patients' quality uh, of life in a lot of those different settings. So anywhere where healthcare is traditionally delivered, we're there, but we're also in areas that um, is not traditionally delivered, of how can we reach patients in new ways. You might think you know what telehealth is, especially if you listened to our episode last season with John Michael Carter. But as Sean mentioned, telehealth isn't just about replicating care over distance. You know, often people think of, when they think of telehealth, they think of kind of the... FaceTime, Skype type of thing with a physician. And, and while that's definitely one element, um, one of the things that you know, we're invested in is some of the asynchronous um, communications that can be used. And it's such a simple thing. When you think of asynchronous, it's, I would say it's not real time. So a text message is asynchronous, an email is asynchronous. And these are simple technologies that are used in so many different industries and, and while they might be used informally in, in healthcare, um, to be able to use them in a formal, strategic, deliberate way to gain information, can, it opens up the door to create so much more efficiencies in healthcare. Our mission statement at MUSC Center for Telehealth is telehealth for efficient, effective care. And that's something that you know, I've tried to ingrain in our team. It necessarily didn't come from me. It came from our executive medical director, Dr. Jimmy McGilligott. He He's the one who hired me. Uh, he's a pediatrician by background. But he always used to say to me, um, you know, a lot of old school people in telehealth have been doing this for 20 years, talk at conferences saying, telehealth is all about replicating care over distance. And he really ingrained in me that if we just replicate a current broken system with all these innovative new technologies, then we're completely failing at what we're doing. Are there any kind of misconceptions that when people, you know, talk about telehealth, like, you know, for the common public, you know, anything that kind of comes to mind of, of how it's misconstrued? And I don't know if I would call them misconceptions. I think they're all realities, both sides of the same coin, if you will, that it's our job to try to get right as a healthcare system. That's Dr. James McElligot, the pediatrician turned telehealth guru. There's a perception that it's something less. And now, you know, a lot of people are saying they don't want patients to come in because of coronavirus. And so they feel like they're being offered a suboptimal version of healthcare. And while it depends on how you deploy it, right? So if it, that could be true. Um, and it certainly is times where it'd be better to meet, meet in person and to check you out more fully. Um, but if you change your system a bit, you realize that the advantages of convenience and the advantages of being as a check on someone over time, in a lot of instances, will will trump that the old system. So for example, maybe I can't listen to your child's lungs and they have asthma as well. But what I can do is now that I know they have asthma and they have taken a good history, I could check on you theoretically every day for a week and make sure you're not getting worse, intervene quicker. Wouldn't that be better information than, you know, a really good auscultation uh, for one 15 minute period, you know, at 
in one three-month interval. And so the power of time is going to be important, but a lot of this stuff has to be sussed out for it to be good care. So I wouldn't say it's a misconception. It's just a reality of uh, that things have to be adjusted to make sure that we, we don't do any less care than we did before, but only more. Sean is innovating in not just the telehealth space, but the healthcare space as a whole. He's reevaluating the use cases for telehealth, completely restructuring the clinical care process. 100% of our state's population is within a one-hour drive time of that time-sensitive care. And so to, to be able to you know, change the way care is delivered like that, again, it's just not feasible under the traditional system. And so to, to use the technology in you know, new innovative ways to really um, you know, think beyond how people think care should be delivered. And that's one of the things I think is, you know, innovative with, you know, also MUSC Center for Telehealth. A lot of times people look at it and say, all right, here's these 10 steps. We think you guys can telehealth steps eight through 10. So can you just telehealth that? And, you know, we'd like to take a step back and say, you know, what are the goals of the 10 steps? Um, because they might not even be necessary. It might be a, a new three steps that have nothing to do uh, the way the care is delivered now. And that's, you know, really thinking about like that design thinking mentality of thinking about what are the actual goals. Uh, and we see that often with physicians. You know, physicians will say, hey, I wanna, I wanna do a video, uh, you know, clinic visit with one of my patients. And I see them in patient in person all the time. It takes me 15 minutes. And I just want to do that, but I want to, I want to bring it closer to their home. So like partner with some other site. But then when you start unraveling that, I'm saying, well, what, what do you need to make a decision? So, well, you know, you know, I like to sit down talk with them and stuff. I was like, do you need to see them for this decision? Like, well, actually, I don't, what I need is uh, their image and I need these two questions answered. So, so I was like, so technically we can get you that image and get those two questions answered and you can make a 15 minute process into something that might be a one minute process. And sometimes, you know, it just blows physicians mind open. It's like, oh my gosh, can we do that? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then they start thinking of all the other things that they can potentially do, because that's the thing is we can't, we can't redesign every clinical service, but what, but what we can do is show use case examples and open up that door for these physicians who really do know their clinical practice and once that door is open, um, I mean, potential is endless. So we went down this path in season one with one of our favorite interviews uh, and episodes. We, we sat down and talked with John Michael Carter of Chartspan, which is a Greenville-based South Carolina company uh, that, that is in the telehealth field. Um, and specifically, they're a provider of chronic care health. Um, it's probably a, a smaller nugget within the overall idea behind what telehealth is. So in this case, like we're, 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 when we're talking with Sean, this is actually a larger spectrum of things that we're really thinking about here, right? Laura? Yeah, so, so you've hit on that Chartspan is in this big domain of, of telehealth, but you know they're, they're hyper-focused on just chronic care management and, and helping physicians directly connect with uh, patients for chronic care. Uh, but MUSC is taking this a step further. They're, they're trying to look at uh, almost on an everyday basis, you know, how can we use everyday technology that already exists, like video conferencing, which I feel like we all are super familiar with these days. But um, 
you know, but they're looking for how can we better support from a distance things like clinical health care, health care related education and public health administration. So they kind of looking at they're looking at kind of the, the both the infrastructure and like the process, um, how it's administered, how how it's supported, sort of the overall sort of industry of how to provide health care through telecommunications and almost serving as like a, a quasi consultant when I feel like when I'm, when I'm listening to, to Sean, you know, their time that they're willing to spend with clinicians on how to best use these technologies to achieve their goal. You, you mentioned a pretty interesting word there. And that is listen, it, it, when he, you know, became very clear in the interview that he's all about listening. Hmm. Um, that seemed like the first step for him in any engagement that MUSC has with anyone out in the field. Um, he kept talking about just taking eight steps back and just sort of listening and trying to understand um, what they were trying to accomplish to figure out what their goals were. That's a kind of a pattern that we consistently see when we interview people on, on their process of innovation, right? Well, how do you know how to how to solve a problem if you don't fully understand the problem itself? So with that, why don't we actually go back to him and listen some more? We are honored to have our podcast, Of Note, recognized with a 2020 Webby Honoree Award for our debut season. The Webby Awards is the leading international award honoring excellence on the internet. Awarded by the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences, it's the internet's highest honor. You can help us continue to grow the podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing with your friends and colleagues. love to just kind of get the story of what you know what started your vocation i had a good friend in high school that got in a bad car accident and um uh significant uh you know trauma in regards to uh you know traumatic brain injury um and when i would used to go visit him uh in the rehab hospital he had a long you know inpatient rehab stay um you know i remember i used to go and um you try to motivate him during his physical therapy and so that was kind of my, one of my first introduction, I would say, in, in some type of healthcare. And I remember they were trying to get, you know, Tony to, to walk or, or do different things. And um, he often listened to me more than he would listen to the physical therapist. Uh, so his mom then started calling me up saying, Sean, we're going up this weekend. Can you come with us? And so, you know, I, I would start going a lot. And then that kind of evolved to then the physical therapist saying, hey, Sean, can you help us with this other patient that you don't even know? And, uh, and uh, I started kind of going down that trek at first. Um, uh, when I start, went to college, I was looking at PT. I had to get an undergrad, I choose an undergrad, didn't have to be healthcare. Um, my grandma had just, who was like my best friend at the time, just passed away when I was a senior in high school and, uh, of, of emphysema. And I used to always remember her taking her breathing treatments. She used to always say she was smoking on her peace pipe all the time. And um, uh, so I had, you know, a curiosity of respiratory illnesses and conditions. So uh, I went to Wheeling Jesuit University, a uh, small private school, and uh, I did respiratory therapy as undergrad. I was intending to do go to graduate school for physical therapy. But when I came out of high school, it was 1997. So that was 1997 Balanced Budget Act, which changed a lot of things in healthcare. And my respiratory professor, he was actually an RT and PT. So he taught, you know, respiratory, he had a PT clinic and he was telling me, he's like, you know, Sean, he goes, you know, places where they used to have 
eight PTs and two aides. Now I have two PTs and eight aides. And he goes, I'm, all I'm doing is paperwork, you know, entrance and ex exams. And he goes, you know, it'll change. These things all come in cycles. Um, but at that time, I was like, you know what, I just, maybe I should just get out and start working and then figure out, you know, wh what is it that I want to do? So uh, I actually moved to Greenville, South Carolina at first, came down from, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh and um, uh, started working in Greenville Memorial uh, as a respiratory therapist, worked a lot in the emergency department. Uh, at that time, I always knew I wanted to go to grad school, but I wasn't sure what, it, uh, what I exactly wanted to do. First, I started thinking actually more about the uh, physician assistant school and I would have a lot of physicians that started the works in the ED that would start taking me under their wings and teaching me a lot of different things uh, about healthcare that had nothing to do with respiratory they could just see I think I had an appetite for learning and I wanted to soak up as much knowledge as possible um, but then when I came to uh, Charleston actually I was thinking about going to PA school at that time but I was also interested in some of the health administration side of things as well and when I came here, I started working in the respiratory department at MUSC. Uh, I started working on a project. I was working night shift. I started working on a project to help create the first MUSC um, ventilator weaning protocol to get patients off a of ventilator um, for the health system. Uh, there was one that was developed for a specific unit, but we were trying to create one for the, uh, for the whole hospital. Uh, and and I was working nights. So one of the things I would have to come to all the different meetings that were happening like at noon. So I would, I would either work all night and stay up and come to a 12 o'clock meeting, uh, or, you know, I'd sleep in my car for a while and come back. And, uh, I wasn't even in a leadership position at this time. I was a staff therapist, but I just wanted to, you know, to get this accomplished. And it was something I thought, you know, I felt like I was getting buy-in from the right people, uh, physician leaders and, and staff and, you know, trying to listen to them. What, what do you think this should look like? And coming back and working the problem and something I thought should have taken a couple months um, started to get pushed back from, you know, some senior physicians who weren't at the meetings I was going to. And I think we're upset that nobody asked their opinion. And so things started to drag out. And actually, at one point, there was a there was a person who was in a leadership position at the time and said listen you know what you're doing it's you know it's honorable uh you got a good intention but you should just give up you know you it's it's never going to happen here we we would have this a long time ago and uh one i was shocked that a leader would tell me that and two it just it made me more motivated than ever to get it accomplished and something i thought should happen in three months took almost a year uh, grinding to get everyone's you know acceptance to get this passed um, but one it got it passed but two that also i guess shifted in my mind this this look towards health administration you know musc had a fantastic uh, uh, mha master of health administration program here already and i was kind of looking at it but i was like no this is exactly what i gotta do if i if i stay clinical i'm gonna be a good clinician I said, but, you know, if I shift in towards health administration, I'm going to have the ability to affect large populations. And that was always something I was passionate about. How do I affect large scale change? Uh, and then that's when I went to um, MHA uh, through MUSC. Now, Sean is affecting large scale change, but he's not doing it without a strong team behind him. I think a good leader is someone that can effectively communicate uh, the vision, their vision and, 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 a, and a clear strategy but also have the ability to get buy-in and engagement from that team uh, to go on that journey with them. 
people always ask me, what's, what's telehealth going to do in three, five years? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> if you want me to be honest, I can kind of give you some thoughts of a direction, but it's like, it's so open and things are moving so, so fast compared to what others would have thought. A lot with what happened with the pandemic recently. But I, I tell our team often, the one thing I can pre predict in healthcare is that it's going to change. Um, you know, we're going through this, Dr. Carley always says, you know, we're about 25 years into a 40 year transformation in healthcare. And it's going to continue to change. And we cannot uh, fully predict that. We can't, um, we can't stop it. The one thing that we can do is develop a team that is so efficient and nimble and ready to shift and trust each other and work together. So regardless of what that change is, you know, we're able to bring, you know, solutions uh, forward in, in a meaningful way. And so to me, I'm, I always talk about, you know, our team is our greatest asset here in telehealth. You know, we've got a, a great group of passionate people that really believe in what we're doing and in regards to the ability to transform the way healthcare is delivered in our state um, that would not have been feasible in any other way. Innovation to me is just being able to, you know, rethink about uh, maybe how a process is occurring to make it better. You know, I used to always think innovation was somebody who thought of some big idea that nobody else could think of. And that is, I guess, one form of innovation. Um, you know, for me, I'm always been a process oriented guy. Uh, I think that's why I do well in this uh, position. I'm actually, people think, well, telehealth, you must be super techie. And I'm not even, a, I'm not a tech guy. And, and I think that's actually helped me. I'm more of been like a process improvement type of person. Um, and that's where I feel like the center has done a lot in regards with our innovative work. It hasn't necessarily been on maybe a new technology, uh, but it's oftentimes it's de the way we deploy uh, an existing technology and the innovative ways that we deploy it and, and you know, redesign the way that care has been delivered in the past. How do you approach innovation? To be able to push innovation, uh, you have to have a, a systematic way of doing it, at least at the scale of what we're trying to do with so many stakeholders. You know, I think it's different if, if you've got a small team trying to be innovative together. But in telehealth, by definition, it takes two to tango. Like you have to have these other partners and you have to have um, trust within these you know, different relationships. But you also have to have a clear vision um, and, you know, be very goal oriented and to make sure everyone's, you know, trying to achieve this uh, same thing. It takes two to tango. Institutions are trying to incite massive sweeping changes while industry is trying to build and develop markets and create new innovative offerings. Sean has a piece of advice for any industry partner looking to operate in the telehealth space. One thing I think I would probably say to, to industry, especially when you think about telehealth, there's a lot of different startups in the telehealth world. Um, the investments in telehealth and digital health have been growing drastically over the last you know, three, four, five years. Um, but often what I find is these new innovative thinkers, they don't really understand the, the industry and market that they're trying to disrupt. And, and I think there's been some good ideas that have potentially come through um, that might have been even too early uh, you know, for their time um, because they might have thought of some new and efficient way to deliver care, but the current reimbursement system didn't, didn't support that. And unless they have enough time to be able to develop that and tell that story to funders or payers in some way, um, you know, they're going to go out of business quick. So, you know, understanding the industry that you're trying to disrupt to be able to speak that language 
and know where you can come in and, and bring value at that time. And and sometimes it's not you know sustainability right off the right off the mark. And we say that all the time is um, you know when we're creating telehealth services, we always look for a pathway to sustainability. So you know the market might not be there right now, but what is our pathway to make sure that it can be sustainable in a couple of years? What challenges or impediments have you faced trying to be innovative? Some of the biggest challenges uh, to be innovative is around reimbursement and you know the regulatory policies there uh, are there. Regulations are needed for a lot of things, and I think there's a lot of regulations even under this most recent pandemic that have been loosened and, and that was good for, you know, in the short term and still needed now. Um, but some of them around like, you know, HIPAA and, and information security, relaxing a lot of those rules, those need to come back. You know, so you, you need to be able to protect health information and different things like that. But when you look at some of the reimbursement uh, policies, there's a lot of variability in policies. There's a lot of gaps in, in policies that do not reimburse for telehealth. So it's hard to be able to take that to a clinician champion and say, all right, here's all the uh, patients you serve. You only get paid for this much. Um, you know, they, they might not even get started. And but one of the things that we've been fortunate enough in, uh, in South Carolina, having the investments from uh, the state is the state has actually charged us with saying, hey, be innovative in this space, push the envelope. You know, we want to be leaders here um, because we know that we believe in this for our citizens. People love to talk about, people in, who have my job love to talk about the barriers to adoption of telehealth from a sort of physician practitioner perspective. And I've always said, you know, after a while, after you've been lucky to work like I have with added resources to focus on telehealth, you realize it's not provider adoption that's the problem. It's one, the finances, and two, someone, their boss telling them they should do it. So, um, you know, we all are good practitioners. If someone said, take care of kids in a rural area with video, go do it, Jimmy. Of course I would do it, whether I liked it or not. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is where there's a will, there's a way. So now there's no shortage of ideas and now there's the will. So right now it's really more about trying to be the most effective and in, in, as we sort of sit through a transformational period. And what that kind of means is how do we, you know, say you're using video to take care of you. Do I start to change my patterns of engaging with you um, because of this video and things like that? So our job switches to being helping people with their, their strategy, helping people with their quality, and less about individual specific initiatives we might be launching. Although I think we'll have plenty of those too. And of course, as many of you have already thought, the use case for something like telehealth during the COVID-19 pandemic is immense. Yeah, there's been a couple of big uh, uh, COVID-19 things that MUSC has done uh, from a telehealth standpoint. So the first big thing was, you know, we have a virtual urgent care platform that we were using to solve simple conditions. It's kind of a direct-to-patient, sometimes people call it direct-to-consumer platform. Um, before COVID, uh, we were seeing, we actually just reached 1,000 patients in a month in September 20, 2019. So this will give a little bit of context of scale. Uh, we were getting up into a couple thousand a month pre-COVID. But when that started happening, uh, we realized quickly and early in 2020 that we needed a way to be able to screen patients. They were high risk for COVID-19 to be able to get them safely into a respiratory collection center. So we used our platform, flipped it, used what it was our upper respiratory infection protocol that was already in the platform, started to embed CDC guidelines or recommendations 
and use that as the tool for South Carolina to be able to screen if they were high risk. So when our governor, um, Henry McMaster, um, had a press conference in early March, uh, MUSC's president, Dr. David Cole, and our medical director for virtual urgent care, Dr. Ed O'Brien, were standing behind him and introducing MUSC.care as a way for patients to be able to screen uh, you know, if they were at high risk. We went from a couple thousand to seeing over 32,000 patients in March on that, on that platform. And What's one piece of advice you'd give to the next generation of innovators? If I were to speak to you know, other innovators, I would say, you know, don't, don't accept what's acceptable. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, when, when something new innovative technology or thing comes out and, and we see this in like, you know, this, the new uh, Shark Tank, you know, wave over the last so many years, people often see that and say, wow, that's so simple. I could, I could have thought of that. Um, and it may have replaced something that was just there that was acceptable at the time. Um, to, but to be able to push forward and kind of thinking of like, how, how could we do this better? And some of the pain points that people experience, people just accept that. It's like, well, that's just the way it is. But it doesn't always have to be that way. If I was looking back, talking to myself when I was younger, it's, um, or any, anyone else getting into healthcare right now, you know, I definitely encourage um, young folks to start just asking questions of where you can get involved, specifically around telehealth is there's so much opportunity, you know, before everything with the recent pandemic, I kept saying that, you know, we were still in this early adopter phase we haven't even gotten to the early majority yet. We got in the early majority over the last, you know, couple months, but I do think some things will, will swing back, but it's an opportunity for people to ask their leaders the same, you know, what is our telehealth, digital health strategy? And you may find an opportunity actually to get involved and help write that strategy at an early, early stage. The reason why we've been able to be successful is we have so many great physician leaders and team members that are extremely passionate about what we're doing. And I mean, that's something that it becomes you know, personal for me. I know it's personal for other people. I've got I've got three daughters and, uh, you know, they know daddy does telehealth. They they kind of know what that is. Um, but to me, I'm excited that, you know, when they're older and they're, they're receiving their health care, in a way that I probably can't even imagine right now, you know, they're going to be able to tell their kids about how, you know, their father, their grandfather, whatever, um, was someone who was instrumental in changing the way that healthcare was delivered. I'm Sean Valenta, and those are my notes on innovation. This has been Of Note, a podcast that gets up close and personal with innovative people so we can learn from their successes and failures. I'm Joseph Nother. And I'm Laura Quarter. This is an original production by the South Carolina Office of Innovation and Design Sensory. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster, with additional editing support from Mariah Reed. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering, with original music by Matthew Honkinen. Check out more interviews, our blog and resource area at scribblesc.com. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at scribblesc. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Of Note. Everything cybersecurity is hot. Um, everyone's been hacked. The financial sector is the most publicized. Um, you know, Target and the banks. Um, but the government gets actually hacked more often than 
um, private sector does. Pentagon gets targeted a lot, CIA, um, any intelligence agency does often. So they constantly have cybersecurity and front and center 